Welcome to The Conquering Truth. I'm Dan Horn. I'm Jonathan Sides. I'm Charles Churchill. And I'm Joshua Horn. So tonight we want to discuss something that causes problems in the church and it has in the past and it continues to now and probably will in the future. And that's when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 34, let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive as the law also says. Obviously that's in scripture. It reads as being very straightforward. Before we talk about why it's important, let's talk about, so how do people argue against it? So one of the ways that, that I commonly see when I've discussed this with people that they argue against it is, hey, Paul was a man of his time. He lived in a patriarchal, misogynistic culture. And what you see him saying here in First Corinthians is just a product of being a part of that culture and saying that men are more important than women. And so, and, and so, hey, it's just a cultural argument. And one of the reasons we don't have to obey it anymore is because we're, well, we don't say we're more enlightened, but that's what we're thinking, with, so that we're smarter than Paul, or that we're more culturally adapted than Paul was. And I think we do come out and say that, actually. I think we, you'll hear people argue. Especially that, yeah, the emerging church. We're more enlightened. I, okay. I, I think they'll say it without, without batting an eye now. And that was the whole emerging church movement for a while is that that we've advanced now, that we understand more now, that God, you know, Paul was like a baby and we're like a teenager now, and so we understand things further so we don't treat women the same way Paul did, that he was wrong in his time, but he was right for his time because he was just a baby and didn't know better. But this isn't just something that is a problem in the emerging church. It, it existed long before the emerging yes. church did. The reasons why people want to dismiss clear verses like this one from 1 Corinthians is because it, it comes down to the, their fundamental view of Scripture and fundamental view of the Christian life. Are we supposed to be reshaped by Scripture as Christians and uh, completely change our worldview to match that of Scripture? Or is it like the things we're talking about where you know we're advancing and we, we should impose our modern ideas onto Scripture to decide what things in there are outdated and what things in there should we take and still apply for the future? So, so is scripture sufficient? Is it um, something that should be reshaping us, or is it something that we need to get rid of the outdated parts? So, what you're saying yeah, is basically that there's some worldview assumptions or some hermeneutical assumptions about how you approach scripture that affect both the uh, why we would want to say something different than scripture, and also give us some of the mechanics of how we would go about saying, well, there's really plain words in this verse. This is not an obscure, difficult-to-understand passage, so I've got to make it go away some way if I think that it's wrong. Right. And usually what I've heard is that people basically say, yeah, that verse is in there, but then there's also the verse from Galatians 3. In the Galatians 3, when Paul didn't understand the fullness of it yet, and so he's thinking it's true when he wrote it, but he doesn't really understand that it also eliminates 1 Corinthians 14.34. And that's where he says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So since we're all one in Christ Jesus, how could you possibly say that a woman isn't allowed to speak in church? So Paul just had to not understand what this verse meant is the argument that I hear. Yeah, and it's a verse that's basically used to try and iron out any sort of differences between people of any distinctions you'd want to make. Without reading the context, which I don't think we're blaming to do, but but one thing that, that, that 
to to take this verse over the other one is violating a really basic hermeneutical principle for interpreting scripture and even interpreting other things as well. Uh, you know, just basic reading um, is, is that the more specific applies above the more general. So you know, here there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male, male nor female. That's very broad. I mean, that's not saying what you should do when a woman is standing up to speak in church when there is a verse specifically for that and so you don't take the general verse to say you know we can do whatever we want and ignore all the specifics and the other thing is another principle is that you have to be able to harmonize there is no verse that trumps another verse it doesn't work that way or god was inconsistent and he's a liar and that has real repercussions for salvation if god's a liar nobody's saved and so you can't just say, well, this verse trumps this verse. You have to say, what's the proper understanding to have them work together because they both have to be true or God's a liar. And so we know he's not a liar, therefore they're both true. So how do they both become true? And I think, you know, if you look at the other passage that talks about women staying silent in church, it's First Timothy 2. And in First Timothy 2, it's very clear as to the reason. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over man, but to be in silence, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Paul's making a very different argument here, not fundamentally different in understanding, but as soon as you point to creation, it can no longer be cultural. And he's pointing to creation, which means all the descendants of Adam and all the descendants of Eve, Adam was formed first, which is why this is, this is ordered this way. That means the gender roles were part of the created order and they haven't departed from the created order and so that means that you have to they have to harmonize these using some other means and the other means is to understand that that there's created value versus economic roles and that roles do not make you less valuable than somebody else so the male that has the role of leadership doesn't mean that the female who is under her husband that somehow she's less any more than god the father is more god than god the son he's not more god than god the son they're both they're both god they're both equal but yet the son answers to the father and you can even i mean there's a part of it where to deny that you have to start deny that there's not a relationship between god the father and god the son that, you know, because in the end, that's really what it's talking about. I mean, we'll, you know, there's, you want to use really technical terms, there's ontological versus economic. You know, ontological being just the absolute value of something as a, you know, the value of God as a being and the value of Jesus Christ as a being, the value of a man and the value of a woman, they are equal. And, and not like in some metaphorical way, in reality, in the absolute measuring of them, they are equal in value. But then in an economic sense, in the sense of a man can't have a baby and a woman can have a baby. Those are, that's not something that you can, you can't fudge that. You can't play around with that. As much as people want to play around with it today, that is a different economical sense of those two. And it's just, it's baked in. And so there's this part of it where with, even within, we see within the Trinity, there's a relationship between them and that relationship is defined. There is an there is an economy within the Trinity, within their relationship, and that does not diminish their value. And I mean, this, this was from the beginning, because in Genesis it says, in his image he made man, male and female, he made them in his image, right? So we know that the value of a woman and the value of a man are identical, because 
They're made in the image of God. That is what our value is. That's the core value of any living person, whether they're an infant, whether they're an infant in the womb, whether they're 95 years old, it doesn't matter. Their value is that they're made in the image of God. And so it doesn't matter if they're male or female because both are made in the image of God. But then it also talks about removing the rib from Adam to make Eve his wife. And so it's clearly that Eve was created to be subordinate as a picture of Christ in the church because the church is subordinate to Christ. And so to mix these two and say that you can't have that difference when, I mean, it started, God laid it out right at the beginning that there's a difference. One of the other ways that people argue against this, or not necessarily the way they argue against it, but the context in which they argue against it, is in the first verse we read in 1 Corinthians where it talks about, it says that they are to be submissive as the law also says, is you have this sense of Old Testament, New Testament. And, and that ties into cultural views. It also, you know, the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament and, and this distinction of law versus grace an overturning of things. And, the, you know, and, and that starts to be a really, really big part of the context in which these thoughts form. Because when you go to Galatians, there's this aspect of there's, they even start to tie into redemptive history, and they start to tie that and, and create that. And, and these things cause problems downstream, and we're going to talk about some of those as we get into it. I mean, but so it's, there's the whole fundamental nature of how you read the Bible starts to be tied into this issue. Because people, in, you know, in the end, you're, you're grounding in your, your contextual basis for how you view Scripture, what you view the purpose of the law, the value of the law, what the purpose of salvation is, what you're saved to, what you're saved from. All those things start to be in play. And, and this is one of those, you know, we could end the podcast right here. We could say, well, you know, people say there should be women pastors. Here's what the Bible says. Here's their argument. Pretty obviously faulty and end there. But, but the reality is there's a lot more, you know, these things aren't happening in a vacuum. Um, to, to, to accept women pastors, to accept women preachers, you have to be, uh, you have to have a fundamentally different view of Scripture and a different view of a lot of the teachings of Scripture. And, and so and it's worth understanding what those views are to make sure that maybe we, we don't believe, you know, that women can preach. But, you know, we're getting there because we are compromising on a lot of things downstream. Earlier, Dan, you were saying that, that if, well, if you're holding that these passages can't be harmonized, then you're making God out to be a liar. And I mean, that's the right logical conclusion. But somebody who's dealing with this and is just trying to push this verse aside, most of the time, they're not in the forefront of their mind saying, God's a liar. Right. That's the consequence of it. That's what they're stuck with. Well, they're usually saying with. Paul was just wrong. <laughs> right, right. But they're not saying God's a liar. They don't, you know, God's truth and love, and we want to keep all that. But if he's a God of truth and love, he wouldn't think these things about women. And so Paul has to be wrong. You know, so you're, you're, having, to, you're, you're having to deal with contradictions. And, yeah, ultimately, you can't get away from the contradiction of you're calling God a liar if you say that two parts of Scripture are in conflict with each other that can, and they can't be harmonized. But nobody thinks that. And they should be. That's what I'm advocating right. for. Right. <laughs> because, because the problem is, you know, you have these things that are in contradiction. You know, God is love. Women can't. And, and, but the Bible says women can't, can't preach in church. And, you know, Scripture is inspired. So what is going to give? Well, you know, as a Christian, you have to say that my definition of God is love is wrong. Because, you know, if I'm going to abandon Scripture being the word of God, why do I bother going to church? I mean, why, why do any of this, you know? 
so, so the only thing in there of those three things, because the words are written in the Bible very clearly, and so the, the only thing that you can move on, uh, if you're, if you're going to maintain Orthodox Christianity, is to say, my view of love and what a loving God would say to women is needs to be needs to be sanctified by Scripture. And I think we need to, when I talk about this in places, because I've been known to preach on this before, and, you know, what I always go back to is people forget, because we're living in the 21st century and we have this view of feminism, they forget how women have been treated through most of history. I mean, the Muslims, women are second-class citizens to their sons that are one year old. That is typical throughout history, is that women are not considered to be equal with men in any way, shape, or form. That is how man treats women because men are like 40% stronger than women on average. And so they subjugate women. It's Christianity that says that men and women have the same value. Other religions don't. And so to say God is love means that women have to have every role that man has. Well, that's ridiculous. But God is love that he says women have the same value as men. There's a reason why Christianity, when it started in Rome, it started mostly around slaves and women because women were treated like slaves. They were second-class citizens in general. And this is what other religions do. It's Christianity that says that women have the same value as men. There's no feminism without Christianity because it's the basis is saying that they're equal because other religions don't say they're equal. They say they're, that women are less. So when we talk about God being love, he is love. That's why men and women are equal in his sight. I mean, a text like this is in Scripture, and God doesn't say things in Scripture that don't need to be said. He says things in there. He, he gives us instructions like this one in 1 Corinthians because we need to hear because we might be inclined to do otherwise. So why would he be saying that? Why would why would be we be inclined to do something other than what God's saying to do here? And I think it goes back to the fall. It goes back to the nature of men and the nature of women. The nature of women because of the curse in Genesis 3:16 says, "To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, in pain you shall bring forth children, your desire shall be for your husband." and he shall rule over you. And what that means is that the desire is for the role of the husband. It is the natural, unsaved woman's desire to be the preacher, desire to be the elder, desire to be the pastor. That is the effect of the curse. That goes back to the beginning. And what we find out as man's curse is he's lazy. Right? Genesis 3, 17 through 19. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. God said it's going to be hard for men. They have thorns and thistles, and men usually just respond by doing as little as possible. And so the women want the role, the men don't want the role, and so therefore the women get the role. And so Paul writes and says, this is not how it should be in the church of Jesus Christ. This is not how it should be when, you've, when you're not dead in your sins and trespasses. When, you, you know, when you're redeemed, when you're renewed, you're renewed back to how it was before the curse. 
And so we do have to put off the old man. We have to put to death the old man. And part of that old man is women are going to want to rule over their husbands and husbands are going to want to let them. I mean, I've said this in the past. So many marriages are a series of exchanges between the husband and the wife, a series of, of, of unlawful exchanges. You know, you handle this and I won't make a fool of you in public and you don't, you know, and you let me, it's, you know, it's, it's this, it's this back and forth, this trading of sins. And, and it's really easy. I mean, if you can't see this in your marriage, you aren't looking, you know what I mean? Cause it's, 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 it is the natural state of man to right. do this. And like you said, we have to put off the old man, but even in a saved marriage, you're going to see this tendency of yourself for your wife to want to take authority over you in areas and you to want to allow her for you to not want to lead to, to not, I mean, and you can see it in homeschool, you can see it in finances, you can, you can just, you can see it all over the place. And I, I think it's, it's one of those things where, like you said, you have to ground your thought process in the nature of men and women. And if you don't ground yourself this, if you tell yourself the fantasy, the lie you want to tell yourself, you won't be able to see it. And even the fantasy that man and women are the same, so therefore their sins are the same. So therefore, right. the man who's just going, I'll let my wife do it. Why do I need to get up off the couch? I'd rather watch the football game. He doesn't recognize that he's feeding his wife's sin just as she's feeding his sin by saying, well, I'll lead, he won't lead. I mean, he's being lazy. So, right. And what we all have to recognize is, I mean, there's fundamental difference between men and women that goes back to the fall and goes back to the curse. And because of that, there's different things that we need to, to do when we're shepherding our wife or when our wife is loving her husband in terms of not letting him, not letting her just just – grasp onto their sin but help them fight against it and in both cases they have responsibility to do that right i mean she she can both be frustrated with him for not leading and usurp his authority he can be mad at her for taking his authority and satisfy his desire for not taking it you know what i mean and so they both get they both get their sinful cake and they get to eat their sinful cake too you know i mean it's and and it's just like you said it's this it's this ongoing and, process that leads to more destruction. And it's what the church is doing when it goes, well, Paul, he was just a man of his time, and now we're modern. And what, we're mo- what that really means is now we're just accepting the sin nature of men and women. That's what it really means, and that's not a good thing. That is not right. a healthy thing. That is a, an incredibly destructive thing. And we, we live in a society that has a 50% divorce rate. We live in a society that – that has so many single mothers. We live in a society that has fornication outside of marriage. We, we live in a society that has all these problems, and a lot of them are very related to the fact that we don't think men and women should relate in a certain way because we reject the idea of the nature of them from the fall. When I preach and when we talk about the, that women aren't supposed to speak in the church after the sermon when we have a time of interaction, I always use 1 Corinthians 14.34 because it's very clear. But there is another passage that I read some of before, which was 1 Timothy 11 through 15. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. And so, Paul's giving a lot more fleshing out a lot more of the reasoning from 1 Corinthians 14. So one of the issues is is that 
that wives are supposed to submit to their own husbands. And that's exactly the opposite, you know, and that's from First Peter 3, and that's exactly the opposite of what the curse was, is that God made Adam, and then he made Eve, and Eve was supposed to submit to, to Adam as a picture of Christ in the church, like it says in Ephesians 5, is that the church has to submit to Christ and is supposed to be the servant of Christ and the helpmeet of Christ, not the head of Christ. And so, you know, Paul, in laying this out, he's also saying there's some other reasons, but it goes back to this picture of the gospel that's in the, the creation of Adam and Eve. One of the things you're pointing out there is it's very common for people to say that, that part of the curse was to cause a woman to submit to her husband. The picture, and, 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 right. this is, and it's really important, God created, I mean, Christ is called the second Adam, He's not, and he's called the second Adam for lots of reasons. But one of the reasons is his wife, the church. And I think this is important because if you get women wrong, you get the church wrong. Right. Because the church collectively is a woman. So Christ's wife will submit to him. And Adam's wife was supposed to. And in the garden, it would have been the e- before, the, before the fall, would have been the easiest place for that to happen. There were all the things that, that cause us problems, our sin nature. That wasn't there. In fact, I mean, you can even see it in Eve's sin. She's tempted. She gets fruit, and she comes to Adam. You know what I mean? You can even see in this place it's not, you know what I mean? And she didn't come to Adam and try to make Adam do this. She brings the fruit. To, you know what I mean? You can even see this, this existed in their relationship prior to this. And I do think that's really important because I've heard this from the pulpit. I've heard this from people talking about it. God made Adam and Eve to be a picture of the gospel. And and yes. Pre-fall, yeah. And, and so, I mean, I, just, I think that's really important because I think it's really easy if you get that mixed up. Then the curse becomes that you're put under your husband. No, the curse is that you'll hate it, and you'll try to take his role. Right. And, and there's a big difference, right? And even you see this when Eve and the serpent are speaking to each other. I mean, it's not Eve trying to rebel against Adam. She's repeating things that she wasn't even necessarily there to hear. She probably heard them from Adam, and she's not going, I'm not going to do it because Adam told me to do it. She's going, no, Adam told me to do this, so I should do this. In the rebellion, there's not a picture of rebellion before the fall. There's not a picture of her wanting to usurp her husband. Right. It's after the fall that she wants to usurp her husband. And when Christ saves us, when he humbles us, when we become meek, because the meek will inherit the earth, the response to that is to say, Christ, you are my Lord, like Sarah called Abraham Lord. It's the same picture. And when we say that women are not supposed to submit, you know, a woman is not supposed to submit to her husband in particular, we're really flipping the gospel on its head, and all of a sudden you reject the idea of Jesus being Lord. You reject him being the head. You reject him having authority. It's, it's really to pervert the gospel. And if you're – and to say that women's submission is, is, is something bad that they should be avoiding, I mean, you're, you're, you're ending up saying that all submission to all authorities is wrong. I mean, because all authority – submitting to any authority – Ends up, you're submitting to them because they get their authority from God, the husband, the civil magistrate. And so if you're saying that it's it's intolerable for a woman to be in a place of submission, well, then it's intolerable for any citizen to be in submission to the government. Or and, her children to be right. in submission to their mother. Right. Or, or ultimately any person to be in submission to God, because that submission 
was before before you know the fall and will be after glorification so that the submission is not a problem and there's many many people probably every person that needs to understand better that no it's good to submit to the proper authorities in the proper way that that is something that is good and is not degrading not wrong in any way and you know in first peter 3 it says that you know if a husband does not obey the word that his wife should win him without a word by her meek and submissive spirit i mean this is how she's pleasing to god even for a rebellious husband the husband that won't do what he's supposed to do the husband that sits on the couch watching football all the time she's still supposed to be submissive to him that's how she's to win him and that's what's pleasing in the sight of god and so it's the picture of the gospel that's pleasing, and everybody's supposed to do their best to maintain their pic- that picture the best they can, irrespective of what the other person does, whether they're an authority over you or they're, you're under their authority. We're still supposed to take that picture of authority because that's the gospel. And there's, it's, it's pictures within pictures because we have this picture of the gospel, but it's also within the Godhead itself. You mm-hmm. have like all all authority is derived authority, but even within the Trinity, you you have God the Father, and then you have the Son who does His will, and then you have the Holy Spirit who does the will of the Father and the Son. And you know we're not going to talk about we're not here to, to break down the entirety of the Trinity, other than to say Jesus Christ when He was on Earth. I mean, this is He's God, and yet He is submitting to the will of His Father. And if he's able to do that, then any one of us, when God assigns us a role of submission towards another human being, towards himself, we need to accept that role and we need to say, okay, I, I understand that I have to submit to the state because God has said, this is an authority over you. My children have to submit to me because God has said, this is the authority structure. I mean, God is building a human society so that we know things about him and we know things about how he's working in the world, which is just another way of saying the gospel. And what we're doing with this particular passage when we say, ah, it's not quite right. No, God, that's not really true, is we're saying we don't want to live in the society that God has built from, from creation and then is trying to, is not trying to, he is rebuilding through the effects of the gospel. We're saying we don't want that world. We don't want to live in that kind of culture. We want to make up our own. And it's not going to work out well. And I mean, the example that I usually use is when Jesus goes to the temple when he's 12. And his parents head back to Bethlehem, and then they come back and they go, where are you? Why aren't you with us? And he basically goes, I need to do my father's will. And they say, come with me. Well, if it to be submissive, because he was right and they were wrong, right, because he's Christ, he's never wrong, which means that when they say, come with us, and he said, I must be about my father's business, he has to submit to an authority that's making a wrong decision. And if that means submitting makes you less than the person you're submitting to, then Christ is less than man. He's less than Mary. He's less than Joseph. And so the people who are saying, well, if a wife has to submit to her husband, that makes her less, well, that really makes that story hard to understand in Scripture, because now all of a sudden Jesus Christ is less than Mary. Now, the Roman Catholics have the problem with that, that they actually think that Jesus Christ is pretty much less than Mary because 
but they're messed up in their theology and they're messed up in their understanding of the nature of God. God did not become less than Mary by being submitting to Mary. God did not become less than than Pilate by submitting to Pilate. Christ did not become less by taking on the form of a bondservant. That does not make you less. He was still God. He was still greater than the people he was submitting to. He did not lose his majesty just because he took on the form of a bondservant. And there's a part of it where, I mean, when you think about authority itself, it's it's really our sin nature makes us think that authority makes you more valuable. You know, I mean, there's this part, but the reason, I mean, our sin nature goes, if I have authority, I would fix this. <laughs> I can get everything, I can do, I can use that authority for myself. But authority, if people are actually doing what they're supposed to do, all authority does is it allows you to do work more efficiently. You know, what I mean, if, if you give authority to someone and they're directing traffic, they don't use their power to direct traffic to send some cars over here so they can rob them. They just direct traffic efficiently. That authority doesn't make them better than the cars. It doesn't make them better than the people. It doesn't, you know what I mean? The authority doesn't make you better. It's sin nature that makes you say that authority makes you better because you want, you're tempted to it's, use the authority to sin. Right. It's the abuse of the authority that, that allows you to lord it over other people. And, Which and, it even or, talks about or with, it's, in it's elders. The, it's the desire to measure things by what humans can see. Right. And you can see, oh, okay, I see authority in script in, in society, and I can see that there's there's these tears that come out of that, as opposed to saying, I really I need to be able to see things as God sees them. Right. And the way God sees them is the only way that matters. And if I'm fitting in God's picture in my spot, if I'm being obedient there, then that's when I'm valuable. That's when I'm useful. And when I try and say, oh, I want something else, that doesn't work out. And I mean, hey, there's Paul has a whole metaphor about that of, of hey, the, the life of Christ, the church, is a body. And hands shouldn't look at a feet and say, oh, you're not like me. I'm not like you. You should be like, you know, it's God gave things purposes. And he even says there that, you know, the parts that are, you know, the private parts that you cover, that they have more honor because you do the covering than the parts that speak because they have honor. And I mean, he's even pointing out how all these things balance, even though you have the parts of the body that are about removal of waste, but yet they have honor more so than other parts of the body. And and God is saying how all these things balance out in ways that, that we can't understand other than to say God is right and he knows what he's doing and he didn't mess up. And, you know, fundamentally, the gospel is about authority. It's about saying Jesus is Lord, that God is the Lord of all, and that we're not God, right? I mean, that's that's basically faith, is we go, we're not God, God's God. And so it's always about authority. And so when you start to reject authority, that's a really scary place to be and to think that you actually understand the gospel. Because, you know, Jesus is Lord is central to the gospel. And the fundamental problem that that has separated us from God is rebellion to God, mm-hmm. of denying God's authority. Saying, I can know good and evil. And and what we want to do is we want to take this one verse or this set of verses about how women should submit to men, carve them off, put them in a different box and say, well, if we don't obey those, we're not actually rebelling against God. And we're going to give them, we're going to put them in a special category. And what we're trying to argue tonight is that just 
isn't true. You can't treat these verses as being somehow different and ignore them. And there's a we you you and you were talking just now. You said how women should submit to men, and I want I, and, and I and I want to. Sure, I mean, we and I be mean, really careful. And I just and I mean, this is this is the danger of what happens. I mean, I I'm not. I'm only picking on you because you said it. If you hadn't said it, I would have said I say this wrong, and it really matters. Is women aren't to submit to men; they're to submit to their husbands. Right. And you know, I mean, it's like this is, and like you're talking about within Muslim communities where a, a mother has to submit to her one-year-old child, and where one-year-old son, one-year-old son, right? And so, you know, and like a daughter, a, bro- a sister would have to submit to her brother. This is not, and so within the church, a woman does not have to submit to a man in the church because he's a man. That is absolutely not the case, but she should submit to her husband. But within brothers and sisters, they have the role of brothers and sisters. Right. And if you think about the relationship that brothers and sisters have and that they should have, that that relationship should be modeled in the church, and that should be carried out in the church. And there should be that that life and that that freedom to interact with one another and to correct one another and to be kind to one another and to you know we're talking about faith love holiness self-control to exercise the fruit of the spirit with one another that should be part of the life of the church and it's really easy to become christian muslims because you take the word you move it and you forget about the nature of the relationship and i think that's i mean i think that's really easy to do and i think it happens i've grown up in in circles where that became the de facto view and I think, you know, and so the church really needs to address that is we've, because God is complex, these relationships are complex and we've lost the complexity in our culture. You know, I mean, we've lost the idea that it right. used to be, you'd call a married man by his last name to remind him that he was a representative of a family. And a personal friend might call him by his first name when he's talking to him on a personal level because he's asking, how are you? But if you ask, how is, you know, Mr. Churchill, how you're asking about the Churchills, and you're reminding him that you're asking, you know what I mean? And we've lost some of this complexity because we've stopped thinking about these things. And even calling a wife Mrs. Churchill, that that's indicating her authority over the rest of the household. Right. And that puts her in a position where of it's honor. acknowledging her authority rather than when you call her Susan, it actually makes it individual. And it doesn't mean that she, it's not reflecting of the, the relationship that she has with you or the authority that she has over her children. Right. And while I agree with what you're saying, that, that this it's not that all women need to submit to all men, I mean, I think there's a sense in which uh, parts of Scripture push back on it in, in a way. Um, you know, even the verse that we just read, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. For Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. And so while it is true that the submission is role-based, but there is also an aspect of it in those roles that is intrinsic to men and women. And now, you know, probably everyone who lives in the 21st century, at least in 21st century America, that verse is pretty uncomfortable. You know, I, I'm not entirely comfortable with that verse, but that doesn't mean it's not a verse. That, that you know, the women, the, the woman is deceived. The woman is more apt to, to being deceived. And so even, even, outside of, even outside of rules, there is a difference in this way between men and women. But we can all sit here and go, you know, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. That doesn't mean that every single woman is more easily deceived than every single man. But the truth of the matter is that a man who, 
who is wise, he's not going to marry a woman who's an utter fool. And so there is the idea in the relationship that it does, I don't think in this verse that you can read this because it is talking about a husband and wife because Adam and Eve were a husband and wife. We know that, right? I mean, it's right there in Genesis. And in a husband and wife relationship, that is true. And that applies to all husband and wife relationships. But it doesn't mean that every woman, there's a lot of women, there's a lot of men that are really incredibly easily deceived. And my experience is when you meet their wife, (laughs) their wife's even more easily deceived than their husband. And it is that pattern. And so I think even though you're right that there is this this thing that is gender-based, it also ties into the role in marriage between Adam and Eve. Right. Though we can't forget the context that this verse is in, which is women as a gender keep silent in the church. And so there, you know, it is true in the sense that it's it's going to match in the marriage, but also it is his justification for that rule is to say that Eve was deceived. And that and that Adam was formed first. When you look at the church and the gathering of the church, the people who should be speaking are those that are the representatives of the household. And obviously the one who's not who's less likely to be deceived than his spouse, that should be the representative of the household. And that's my argument would be that's all that should speak in the church. That to say that a mother can't speak in the church but her five-year-old son can speak in the church. Her 16-year-old son. Or her 16-year-old son, where, where you know, uh, Ephesians 6 says that he has to submit to her. Well, if you go back to 1 Corinthians 14, 34, the reason she has to stay silent is because she's under authority. Well, that son's under authority, too, and the daughter's under authority, too. So it seems to me it's not just gender-based because it's authority-based. And, yes, God made the man, the head of the household, because he's not as easily deceived as the wife. But I'll tell you what, most five-year-old boys are much more easily deceived than their mothers are. And they're certainly under authority. And they're certainly under authority. I mean, there's just no question about it. I mean, and there is this part, I mean, God says he framed the world in a certain way. And there's this part of it where, because we are so invested in equality in every way, Scripture says that he made, that they made the wife to be a weaker vessel. I'm sorry. End of you know. End of story. It is. It is true. It is. There is a. There is a, a. way in which it is true, and there is a context in which it is true, and you have to deal with it. And I think. And there is this part of it where what he is saying is that is part of their value. That is part mm-hmm. of the reality. And he could not make the picture that he was making without that being true. He could not be glorified in the way. He is going to be glorified. His glory would be diminished without that being true. And so I th- and so there is a part of it where to try to walk away from it, to try to do anything other than it, is to go against the nature and the way that God has designed the world. And so the problem is, is when you take, like you're talking about, and what we try to start out this with is when you take that and go, they are not equal in value. Or when you try to go because of this, I can do X, Y, and Z. The scripture says, no, you can't. And Or when you try to say women don't need protection in certain ways because of that, you harm women greatly as well. Either one of those is incredibly detrimental, and it will destroy a culture. And, yeah, we're all married. We all recognize the fact that there are certain times of the month and other things that hormones are such that, that 
women do have trouble thinking. You know, there is pregnancy brain where they have trouble understanding things because of the hormones that are going on in their body. And to pretend like that's not true, it is true. And it makes them very susceptible in certain times. And we need to be realistic about how God ordered the world. And even that's a picture of the church because the church gets confused at times. We've all been in churches that are very confused at times. And we should just recognize Christ never gets confused. And God created that order to point back to Christ and the church. It's been so effectively made a caricature. Wait, which is it? What's a caricature? Pregnancy brain, hormones. You know, I mean, and there's a part of it where it is sometimes people will use it to belittle, you know, if, if a woman's upset about something, oh, it must be that time of the month. And there's times where they're legitimately upset about something and people will use it just to absolutely destroy an argument or destroy somebody, you know, and, and then there's parts of it where it's, you know what I mean? And so, and I agree. But it's part it's of her being a weaker vessel and it, you it can't is. get around and that. And that's what I mean is. After talking about that Adam was formed first or that he was not deceived, that the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Then Paul writes and says, but here's what's really valuable about women. Because feminism says a woman has to be exactly like a man, has to be able to do everything that a man can do, which is not an argument for equality. And anybody that pretends that it's an argument for equality, they're lying. Because nobody, other than some insane people in our culture, nobody believes that a man can give birth. So what they're saying is a woman has to be equal to a man in every way, plus she has to be better because she can give birth. And what Paul says is man has been given authority because he was formed first, and women get the right to bear children. And so how can you say one's less than the other? 1 Corinthians 11, 11 and 12. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. In other words, Paul's going, how can you say women are somehow second class from men because every man came from a woman the women they get the role of bearing children they get that privilege they get the privilege of of nursing them they get the privilege of doing most of the training especially when they're young and men get the privilege of authority and if you say a man a woman can do everything that a man can do well a man can't do everything that a woman can do it's even sharper than that it's a woman brought you into the world. Right. That's what I mean, that you can't say you're better than women because how could you be better than women because— You can't be greater you, than that which you came from. Right. And so there's this pattern that God put in the world that he gave blessings to men, he gave blessings to women, he gave roles to men, he gave roles to women. And those roles are precious and valuable, and they're we're both made in the image of God. You can't reject one over the other. But God said they're not equal in authority— but he has given them both equally significant roles in the world. And, and this is another example of, you know, when we're talking about women being easily deceived and we talked about how that God did make women to be the weaker vessel. And that is, it is under such an attack, the idea of that being true. If you want to wonder why childbirth and being a mother is so under attack, it's because of this. I mean, Scripture says, God says, this is the way I've made the world. This is your glory. And so what does the world do? It tramples on the glory. It's because there is a natural reaction is just to go, he gave us childbirth. Whoop-de-doo. Who cares about childbirth? The worst thing he could possibly, I mean, 
that is what the world that is right. the world's answer to that verse is to trample on the glory that God has given them. And and to say, if he really wanted to glorify us, he would have made us like men. And so I mean, when you know, it's like the, the And then none of us would exist. Right. <laughs> it's it's so right. I mean, it's just so nonsensical. Because God ordered things with much more wisdom than that. Right. And he ordered that everybody has his own kind of glory. And the glory of women is that they can give birth to children. But you should understand the nature of rebellion. Is the, na- is right. the commandment defines the rebellion. God says, here's your glory, and you want to stomp on the crown and say it is worthless. And you want to have your career instead of having a family. And when you think about how absurd that is, when, they're, when the, the woman is 60 and she would like to have a grandchild— I guarantee she would rather have a grandchild than have a career. But yet, when she's 20, everybody's telling her, you should have a career, you should have a career. It's a lie. The blessing is children that God gives to women. And it's a lie to say that they'll be more satisfied with a career when they're 60 than they would have if they had grandchildren. It's just not true. And it's, and it's pretty destructive right from the beginning because that kind of labor for providing for a household, it's it's part of the curse that was put on Adam that you're going to get bread by the sweat of your brow. You're going to have to work hard. The world's going to work against you. There's going to be thorns and thistles. And a woman who says, oh, I want that, she's taking on Adam's curse. And and the world is telling her that it's a glorious thing to grab a it's not glorious. You're grabbing a curse. And then how many women then have, you know, all of a sudden they feel their biological clock ticking down and all of a sudden they go oh we have to because they almost never want to reject the idea even if in their 20s they say they do by the time they're getting closer to 40 they're almost always want to have a child because that is how God designed them and even if the world has lied to them and deceived them for those 20 years it doesn't mean that in the end when push comes to shove when they're going if I don't do it now I'll never do it that all of a sudden they don't go I really want a child right because God ordered it that way. And it doesn't mean you can't find people who are in right. their 50s and 60s and 70s who will say they are absolutely happy and glad they made the choices they made. You will meet people who say they don't believe there is a God, and the Bible says they are lying or they are deceived. It does not It does not change anything. Or they're deceiving themselves. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, it is, you know, that is not, that is not proof of anything contrary. So what happens to the, to the church when, when we— put women out of their special role that God has given them. Well, I mean, one of the things that we said earlier was whenever, you know, the arguments that people use in Scripture to argue against this is we kind of said that there's a part of it where they're saying Scripture's lying or God's inconsistent. And I think someone even said it, is no one actually believes that. So the truth is, is once you establish your truth, then you begin applying that everywhere else. And so in the end, what happens is, is whatever point you hold to, something else has to give way. If you say this, if you say this is true, then if you say men and women are equal, then there are other ways in which men and women must be equal and what that means and their implications of those decisions. And that's really kind of, I mean, just in the end, I just want to tie that back in because as we go into this, this is what starts to happen is you start to see the impact of taking this view, and then up taking it to its logical end. It's, it's just saying that if you hold that there's two Bible verses that can't both be true, if, you're, if you say, I've got to, to stick with this contradiction, 
contradictions just don't hold up. So you start looking for other places where you can relieve some of that pressure, which means you're going to end up compromising other places in your worldview, in your view of the Bible, other scripture passages. Right. And even to some extent, you know, in, in Hebrews 5, it talks about how it's through practice that we're able to discern good and evil. So one of the things that happens is that a church that says, oh, women should lead, they won't even see the negative effects of that. The person who says, well, we're just going to submit to scripture, they can actually see the results of that easier than somebody who goes, goes ah, it's contradictory, who cares? And the the desire to obey then opens up a vista that you can then you can then see more things that you can see what the effects of that you wouldn't have otherwise. And the same thing is true of of the wrong false view. Is in the sense of some frequently the person who adopts the false view, they don't know what the child of that false view will be. Yes. And 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 that comes out through the person who first started talking about gender fluidity they didn't necessarily imagine transgenderism. They weren't transgender themselves, but their children are. You know what I mean? And so there is this part of it where it, 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 works, its, it, it, it works itself out through practice. And so, I mean, and that's, that's literally what you're kind of asking is, is what are the practice of these false views? How do they work themselves out in the church? Right. If you look at what's supposed to happen because of 1 Corinthians 14, 34, that women stay silent in church, what comes afterward is 35, and if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. I mean, this is a really important verse because God isn't just saying through Paul, be quiet. He's saying you should still be thinking about things. You should still be considering things. And what you should then go do is ask your husband, which puts him in the position where if he's going to lead, he has to get out in front of you. And so it's the wife's responsibility to strengthen her husband's theology simply by asking questions, not by rebelling, not by going, I know more than you do, you need to catch up with me, but by asking questions. And that puts pressure on the husband to turn from his natural sin, which is to be lazy, and to turn from her natural sin by actively asking her husband at home. And that makes the whole household, the whole family more holy. So yeah, people, People can hear what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.34 and think, oh, Paul doesn't think anything of the intellect of women and they shouldn't be teaching, and, 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 not, and not read what it's saying here. If Paul wants women attentive. He wants them engaged. He wants them listening independently as their own individual rational human beings, and then going back and having rational discussions in their own households about these things, you know, listen to the sermon, and then go talk about the sermon. But there's a context in which to do that, and that context makes your home a better home. And makes, it's clearly, I mean, one of the things that I see that comes out of this verse is that it's clearly saying unity, theological unity in a household's more important than theological unity in the church. So therefore, in the household, she's supposed to ask the authority of the household because that's a more important unity than the theology with the rest of the with the rest of the church. I mean, yes, it's good to have unity in the spirit in the church. That's a good thing to strive for for everybody. But the ones that first have to, you know, iron out their differences is not the woman in the church, but the woman and her husband. And I think it's worth reminding ourselves of the context of this verse as well. But this is in the context of women speaking in church, not women talking about theology or even ask potentially asking the pastor a question about theology. I mean, so. So it's that instead of the women speaking in the church meeting, 
they're supposed to be asking their husbands. Not that there's never a place for women to speak with theology about other people in the church. Yeah, technically speaking, this usually happens when we're in the van on the way home. You know, that doesn't always actually happen in our house. Proper. And sometimes it can happen at the lunch table after church right. where the husband and wife are sitting there and having a conversation. You know, even with me as the pastor, that frequently happens. But because of this verse, I'm very conscious of the fact that I shouldn't be trying to drive the wife's theology in a different direction than her husband because that's where there needs to be unity. And yes, there should be unity in the church, but if the wife has questions that she disagrees with the husband, she should take them to him and make them wrestle it out first before it's done in the church. So, of course, there's a time and a place for it if the husband's saying, well, actually, I think there's really only one person of God, or I think, you know, workspace righteousness well, is fine. I mean, it's not that there's this, you know, iron wall that the pastor, that only the husband can be teaching the wife theology. I mean, there are, there are places where... She should, she's supposed to be listening in the church so she can ask her husband right. at home, which would argue that there's, there's other sources of, of information. The point of this discussion isn't to iron out all the details. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of different details about when exactly can women speak, you know, they can, you know, can, and when can women teach men, and there's a lot, there's a lot in here. There's many questions that, that we are uh, We're not, not trying to on. solve. Yeah, at the end of this podcast, if somebody goes away and says, okay, yes, I want to do what this verse says, now I've got to work out the details, we're happy. Right. You know, yep. if somebody just says, hey, I want to obey what God says in this verse, and then we'll figure out how that particularly applies, first you've got to start with, we can't have a woman pastor, okay? But then exactly what counts as a meeting of the church, that's beyond the scope of what we're trying to do here. And even, you know, in the First Timothy 2 passage where, I mean, I've seen this happen so often that I think it's worth warning is where, you know, you allow women to be teaching men and women even to be teaching other women. Maybe you have a separate thing that all of a sudden they're teaching theology and they create these separations from their husband. I mean, Beth Moore is famous for doing this, that she creates so many divisions because she teaches women things and she says, oh, I'll never teach a man. But then she wandered astray, obviously, and didn't actually stick with that for very long but that they create their own Bibles and their own other things. And we should remember that one of the concepts here is unity of the family. The wife is supposed to ask her husband, not to say that she can't get any other teaching, but when her other teaching is coming from another source all the time, it's just dividing the family and creating great divisions. And we should just recognize how damaging that is to the church. Another side effect of this is effectively that you end up having men leaving the church. I mean, it ends up being a case of where people will say we need to have more women in leadership we need to have more women in authority i mean when you even look at the church today and some of this is a side effect of this is more women go to church than men already and some of this is because like we talked about men don't want to lead men don't want to have authority men don't want to do what they were supposed to do and the church goes well, what we should really do is put more women in authority in the church because there are more women there and they even push the men that are there out of the church and so you have you, you create just this, I mean, the church ends up taking, instead of just the marriage being this trade-off, the church goes, hey, let's let's get involved in the trade-off and let's, let's encourage men to not do their responsibility even more. And we've, you know, I, I shouldn't say we've all, but at least I've certainly experienced plenty of families where the wife's a nag and so the husband checks out. And this happens at a church level. When you start to get the women to say, we're going to lead and we're going to do it, 
it becomes feminized, which there's great blessings to femininity. I'm not rejecting femininity, but the church isn't supposed to be feminized. It's supposed to be led by men. And when it becomes feminized, the men's response is typically, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And then you get two-thirds of the church being women and one-third being men, which is kind of typical in America and typical in most places in the world. And we shouldn't just go, well, the women are there, so they're the ones who should lead. Well, they're also propagating it and, and making it worse by taking that role because the tendency then is to drive men off. It's a, Yeah, it's kind of a perverse feedback loop because the only way that you get women in leadership is that you don't have men around who are willing and able to lead. And then you say, okay, well, if the men aren't going to lead – the women will lead. It goes right back to the curse in the garden. You know, right. It goes right back to what God told Eve was going to happen. It happens in the church. And then any men that are left in the church look at that and they, I don't want to be part of that leadership team. I don't want to sit under that kind of teaching, you know, for, for good or bad reasons. And mm-hmm. they end up leaving. And, and, and you just don't get a recovery where men rise up and say, you know, I'm going to do my job. And right. And that doesn't mean that I've seen churches where God does move and they they pull back from this, but it really is a movement of God because if man follows in their natural path, their natural path is it just spirals more and more out of control. It doesn't get better. You let a little bit of sin in, and if nothing happens to stop the growth of that sin, it doesn't stop. It just keeps growing and spreading, and, and, hey, you start with with women elders, and the next thing you know, you're denying the doctrine of the virgin birth. And it's kind of shocks everybody, but that's what happened to all the mainline churches. Right. You used the term a second ago, you know, a feminized church, which, you know, there's a point where a feminized church is good because the church is the bride of Christ. But the the part where a feminized church is bad is where God said men need to be the elders and women should not be speaking in church. And so anything that the women are you know let's put a woman in this role anything the woman is bringing that's not what the men is bringing that feminization is bad because god said don't don't do that so you know that the the feminization in this in this aspect is is wrong not not as a whole because you know as as the bride of christ there is that aspect of feminization and i mean i think we talked about this in the the podcast on you know space exploration is that the church is supposed to be a keeper at home, and the church is supposed to be keeping the earth. It is supposed to be taking dominion of the earth. And so there is that picture of the church being the bride of Christ, but there's also the picture of of the kingdom of God that's supposed to be conquered. And what I meant by feminized is that while there are good characteristics and necessary char- characteristics for health, for a family, for a, a woman and nurturing and these other things is that when you take the men's role out, you stop to have the conquering role nearly as much. And what you just have is the nurturing role. And the reality is the church has a duty to conquer the world. It has a duty to go out and to change the world. And when you get a what I'm calling a feminized church, they tend to do that far less. At most, what they might do is evangelize to bring people in to comfort them, but they don't have the same responsibility that men have been given in the world to take dominion and the their wives are given to help them do that and in the church that's the same thing and the church hasn't been taking dominion and i think when you when you get more female leadership you're far less likely to see yourself as the church militant or what happens is you become militant for the wrong things and you you pick the wrong battles and you end up fighting on the wrong side 
and this is what happens. I mean, just think of the churches that you know that are are not not quibbling over this first. They are all the way on the other side. They've got Pastor Mary Beth out on the sign in front of the church. You know, and if you think about, well, what are the politics of that church? And they're not going to be politics that are conserving the sorts of things that we would expect from a Christian worldview. They've, they've, picked, they've pitched their tent in the wrong camp. They're fighting the wrong battles on the wrong side. I mean, this is probably related to that, and it's also another effect on the church is whenever we say that men and women don't have these separate roles is we actually start, we don't also believe then that men and women have particular sins that are particular to their roles which means that you end up losing, because in the end, you have to, particular sins must be repented of particularly, which means sin actually can't be addressed in the church in a particular way, which means that sin stops being addressed in the church in a particular way, which means you can't, you can't call people to faith in good works because you lose what good works even means, which means the church stops you know what I mean? You lose all the granularity of what makes the church a church because you've become so invested in saying everyone's equal that they become equal and they become nothing. And so the church just, the church literally stops being a church right, over time. And you said it from the, the, the sin side, but it's also true from the strength side. Right. That's Is the that women that and men come in and they bring different strengths and different right. weaknesses because of their nature, because of, of that Adam was formed first and then Eve. And because of that, yep. they have very different responses. And so the church fails to do serious aspects of what it's supposed to do because it's, it's put off those gifts and said those strengths should be ignored. Well, if you ignore those strengths it really affects what you can do right you can't you can't correct them and you can't exhort them (laughs) and it it becomes just you can't do anything that the church is actually supposed to do over time and you know the the reality is that that the church is to confront sin and confronting sin is is usually a very ugly thing and very difficult thing and very particular and very particular thing and and in my experience, men tend to be willing to fight that battle more than women will because women want to be nurturers. And it's great to be a nurturer, but there is the other side, and you need both of them for the church to be healthy. And then, and at the same time, women have to fight it in their homes. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Where mm-hmm. they fight it, it's a, it's a different place where they fight it, and it's a different way that they fight it. Even You know what I mean? And, and, yeah, and, it's, and, it, and it's one of the problems with having a single gender where you have just a mother or just a father is that you lose that other aspect in the training of the children, and that's so damaging to sons right. to not have a father or even daughters to not have a father or vice versa, to yep. not have a mother, because then they lose those compatible strengths. If you lose one of them, it causes real problems and real problems downstream. And the church is choosing to, to embrace that and say, well, we'll lose the gift of what men are because, after all, men are kind of nasty, so we don't really want them. We like a nice, comfortable, you know, something that feels very warm as opposed to that's not all the church should be. And, I mean, while we're talking about cursing or, or talking about the, the effects of, of not fighting sin, if you are in a place where you are in open rebellion to God, it makes you that much less likely to be wanting to deal with somebody else's rebellion right. to God. You're more, right. you're more likely, or, or you are likely, to look at that other rebellion and make friends with it. And I, I think as we talk about this, we should also just be really blunt about what God says about it, because he says it's a curse. When this happens, it's a curse. So Isaiah 3, 11 and 12 says, Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him. For the reward of his hand shall be given him, 
As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. God doesn't go, it's just a little minor thing when women rule over. He goes, this destroys your path. And so it's very easy for us to look and go, oh yeah, let's have all these debates. Let's remember what God actually says about it. He says, when the women rule over them, their paths will be destroyed. And that's very much what's happening in the church. And people say to this, well, I mean, well, what about Deborah? And you go back and you read that story about Deborah. And She's going, Brock, what's wrong with you? Deborah says, this is a curse on you. This is to your shame. You're not going to get the glory from this because you're not willing to lead. So we talked about what happens to the church, but you know, what happens to society when all of a sudden you say there can be no difference between men and women? I mean, I just I don't think it's even on the list, but the parallel, the first one under what effect on the church was that men become spiritually weak, and actually, men become physically weak. You know what I mean? There, I mean, there's a men become more like women. There's an and there is there is this part of it where men become a caricature of themselves. They, you know what I mean? Because there is this part of it you where mean like the couch potato and, and right. There, I mean, there's just a part thinking of about it, that's kind of what I'm. Either they become this. This weird version of a man that grows, you know, that tries to become strong for strength's sake, or they become this nothing. But I mean, in the end, men become more like women over time. Men become more effeminate, and I think you can see that happening. You can see that happening in almost every part of our culture where that's been happening. And so, I mean, there's a part of it where I mean, God created men to wage war. God created men to go out and work hard. God created men to, to you know, to work by the sweat of their brow. And whenever you say this, you end up having men who run away from that and push away from that, and they become they become soft, they become doughy, they become. And, and when they don't have the role, I mean, I was serious when I was saying couch potatoes. They just sit on the couch all day, yeah, instead of actually doing anything. And that's a you know, and you're right. There are some men that just they end up going to the gym for two hours a day, but it ends up being the same thing. They don't see their role as actually moving things forward which is the role that they've been given that's the role we've been given and the church even talks acts like that that it's not supposed to move forward everything's just supposed to decay as opposed to the role of the men is they're supposed to lead and they're supposed to conquer and they're supposed to take dominion and they're supposed to further the kingdom of god and that requires men that will lead yeah i mean another one that that strikes me is if you take the galatians 3 passage and say, there is no male, there is no female. You have now said sodomy is acceptable. And you can't get away from that. Right. If that means that there is no different role for men than women, then how can you possibly order, or how can you possibly argue against sodomite marriage? How can you stand against these things when you've already said there's no difference? You can't you can't theologically in the church say there can be no difference between men and women and then go, but out in society there has to be. It doesn't work. That's not how the church affects the world. If the church rejects the doctrine that there's a difference in roles between men and women and they say that they have the same role, then how can they complain when a man says he can be a bride in a wedding? I remember 10 years ago I was involved. There's a website. It was Jesus Creed, I think, run by Scott McKnight. 
and they were having we were having there were a lot of these discussions about some of these very issues and that we were talking about the Galatians passage and people were sitting there arguing about it and saying it was you know it was definitive it, it, it created absolute equality between men and women and I remember posting a comment going you understand you are arguing for homosexual marriage you are arguing for these things and they said no we are not no we are not and within five minutes there were multiple people on there who were homosexual who were pro-homosexuals who were posting yes that is absolutely what it means <laughs> thank you so much for I mean and it I mean and it was just I mean it was right there within and, and they were going you can't go in that you can't take it that far you why can't, not right and and they were going you yeah, this is the logical conclusion of what you've just said. You have to embrace it. And it You're, practically works out that way as well. I mean, the churches, I, I don't have specific numbers on this, but, you know, you look at the churches with women pastors, and I think they're far more likely to accept homosexuality. They, were part, they a, were part of the denominations that after they got through, are we going to have women pastors? The next big question is, are we going to allow openly homosexual pastors? And most of them started out by the, the first homosexual pastors were women because they said, we don't need men in the church. So then they say, we don't need men in our home. And most of the ones that were leading in the Methodist movement, they were female lesbians that were pastors. And so, yeah, you can't, I mean, these things tie together as much as we want to pretend like, you know, it's like you were talking about on that that blog or that that website is that they say, we can deal with this passage irrationally to our level, but nobody else is allowed to do the same thing. And of course which people is, do the same thing. <laughs> if you twist is, scripture, other people will twist it further. But it's just like saying, I want to allow in this much sin, and that's all I'm comfortable with, and I'm going to stop it there, and, and it, it will behave itself and stay in its lane. And it never, ever does. It's like Abraham and Isaac. Abraham says, this is my sister, and Isaac says, this is my sister, and the one was his sister, the other wasn't. The next generation goes further. It doesn't stay in its lane. It always expands. When we were, when we were talking about the podcast, just amongst ourselves, trying to come up with a topic, you know, we said, why don't we just say something really, really shocking, like, well, if you, if you allow women to speak in church— you're basically allowing for the transgender movement that we're dealing with right now. And if we had led with that, I mean, that would have been shocking. Hopefully by now you can see how we're sort of walking We have to through. edit that back in. <laughs> yeah, let's go put that one at the top. But hopefully by now you can see that the, the argument that we're making is that so many of the effects on the culture, all of the gender confusion that we've got, all of the homosexual marriage stuff that we've got, it started with the church among other reasons, it started with the church being lax and being passive in willing to just hold to this one doctrine and the set of doctrines that are around it. And I would lump in there to the abortion industry because the abortion industry ties into the same thing. The reason that we have an abortion industry is so that women can act like men. They can have sex without consequences. They can have sex without the baby that they need to deal with. That's why the abortion industry was created. It, and that's why men love it, because they don't have the responsibility. They can, they can embrace their sin from the curse, and women can go, I can be like a man. I'll just kill the baby, move on. I'll continue to pursue my career. And when you take the role of women and say their major differentiator between man means nothing, then of course they'll kill their children. What else would they do? 
And this is the lie that our society has been perpetrating. And you can't separate the two any more than Paul did in 1 Timothy 2. You can't separate childbirth and the, the glory that God gives women that they can give birth to children. You can't separate that from distinct roles. Having, having a wrong view of something is fundamentalized men and women and, and the roles go along with that. I mean, it has kind of incalculable effects. You know, you don't – how are you supposed to live your life? What's your purpose in life? You know, you know, you you have some uh, you know innate biological things that God put there. They're sending you one direction. You have the culture sending you another direction, and you have you know a sin nature pushing you. You know, you you don't know how to handle it. You know, a lot of people don't see purpose in their life, um, and part of the reason is that they uh, are have abandoned you know the very most basic purposes that God uh, gave to us as people. You know, take dominion. You know what what men should be doing, what women should be doing. If you if you're ignoring these things, you know, there's a multitude of problems that are that are coming about. And I think it's worth saying at this point that we can trace all sorts of social and cultural ills to a failure to obey this doctrine. What we're not doing is we're not saying that let's blame women for all the problems. In society, oh, it's men's fault. <laughs> I mean, what we're saying is that, <laughs> and that should make a feminist angry. But it's men's fault. Oh, it's clearly men's fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, what we've been saying is the church has failed to protect this particular doctrine. The church has tried to compromise. The church has tried to hold on to a contradiction, and because of that, they've been willing to accept compromises in so many different ways. And there's plenty of blame to go around. But we're not saying blame women for all the problems. I mean. The, the reality is God said women are more easily deceived than men, so we know whose fault it is. <laughs> it's the men failed to fulfill their responsibility because they are supposed to lead. They are supposed to set the direction. They are to do this. So because they have been given the authority, they have the responsibility. They have the, they have the duty to answer to God for this, and, and men need to repent. And then if the women know Christ, they will follow. But if they don't, the men still need to repent. And, and what and what is evident from history is most of the time, unsaved women will follow. Yes, I mean, and you know, and it, I mean, and it. This is why I mean, you know, I mean, it is it is for all the ranting, for all the protestation, for everything else. They can say what they want. Women will usually follow if a man actually does what he is supposed to do. If he actually loves his wife if he actually does what he is supposed to do they follow and and it's 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 a picture of the gospel you look at the command of women it submits your husbands the command of men is not lead your wife it's love your wife love your wife right you know that that's kind of a whole nother topic but you know it's it's not just the men need to lead there's a, there's a, that, that is true, but there's a, lot, there's a lot more that goes into it. Specifically, in this case, we're talking about leadership in the church, and the men have a responsibility to lead in the church. Yes. Then there's a whole range of things that they're supposed to do in the home, which is you know, loving their wife. But right now, one of the big, the big lacks throughout the world is the idea of men leading in the church, and men have a duty to lead in the church. But if, and if the homes were correct, you wouldn't have a problem in the church. True. It's the place to start. Just as with most of these things, the place to start is with the authority that God has given you. Repent where you are. 
deal with the authority God has given you. If it's over yourself, deal with yourself. If it's over your wife, deal with your yourself and how you lead your wife. If it's in the church, regardless where God has given you authority is the place to start. People don't want it, but there is a glory that was given to women. There is a glory that is that is in, that you you can't compare. You you can't compare the two glories. You know what I mean? You don't sit down and go, "Well, you have to look at them." They are they are different glories, and there is a glory that was given to a woman, and you can you can reject it, you can deny it, you can hate it, but it's where God said it was, and you'll stand before God one day, and your attitude towards the glory of women, you will be judged for it, and you will be judged for what you did with it and what you think of it. This is something that our culture is actively trying to deny. This is something that the church has joined in trying to deny and we're going to be judged for it. I hope through this discussion you've seen the the importance of you take this doctrine and it flows out and has all kinds of other effects. It's really easy to take these these two verses about women being silent in church and say, oh, they don't matter very much. But even small doctrines, and these aren't small doctrines, these are, these are fundamental to the nature of men and women, but just how much they can influence the church, how much they can influence the society. We need to be a people who think deeply about the things of God and not just superficially and go, we want what we want. We're uncomfortable with the idea that Adam was formed first and Adam was not deceived, but Eve was, instead of saying, God has put those in there for a reason, and we need to hold on to them carefully so that we don't get destroyed. Thank you for joining us. This has been The Conquering Truth, a project of Reformation Baptist Church. If you found this helpful, you can visit us online at theconqueringtruth.com and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening.